It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Right, hello and welcome to another episode of the Blues Focus podcast with me, your host, John Graham. Thank you so much for taking the time to download and at bluesfocuspod.co.uk. It's got all of our recent podcasts you can search and please subscribe to the mailing list, which means you'll never miss a pod in the future again. The last one we dropped, we said we would have a special guest and here he is, uh, ex-Blues manager, took charge of uh, the mighty Blue Noses for 116 games. Lee Clark, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Thanks for the invitation, John. Good to speak to uh, yourself and uh, the, the supporters out there. Yeah, fabulous. And as ever, Tom Oxlund with us to uh, provide the insights and some stats around, you know, blues and what we're about, where we are now. And it'd be really good to, as we go through the pod, to get Lee's take on, I guess, where blues are now. Uh, he's very much... Uh, you know, well-researched on blues and how they're going at the moment and I guess what the future the future brings. But I think the way, what, what I want to do with the pod is, um, I mentioned to Lee just before we went on, on air, is um, Lee was a fantastic footballer. Um, we, were, we were a similar age. And I think for a lot of blues fans out there, maybe the, a little bit younger than me, uh, that have been maybe watching blues when, when Lee was uh, in charge um, a few years ago, but Lee, I think it'd be really good to to understand. So, how did you get into the game? You know, when did it all start for you? Oh, um, a long time ago, John. Um, obviously, as a young boy, five six, started kicking the ball around the street and in the, in the uh, east end of Newcastle, um, where I was from. And um, it, it became how I first got my break at school. And the school team was a little bit of a. Bit of luck, really. I was just kicking the ball around in the in the playground at school. Uh, I was only six, and the school team was an under eleven team. And the PE teacher, Mr. Horrocks, doubled up as a as the football teacher. Asked if I had any boots with us because he was short of one or two players in the team for a game that night after school. And I only lived two minutes from the school, but I, and I said I didn't have any boots, but I could quickly get home and get them. So he said, "Go do that." And uh, so I got home, got me boots, and um, I was I was one of the substitutes. Like obviously, the team was five years above me age group, and um, he put us on the pitch. And then after that, I, I used to play every week. I was the, the, I started in the team. So and then it just a couple of weeks later, I some I, uh, I was playing in a game, and and some some guy came along up to us to ask what you know if I would be interested in joining. Which is obviously up here in the northeast, and I don't know how big it is down in down that area, but the famous Walls End Boys Club, yeah. you know, that had produced many, many uh, fantastic footballers of of all levels, international all the way through. Uh, you know, lots of lads went on to have great football careers. But he obviously didn't realise my age, and they were the same, and they were under eleven as the youngest team there, but. The rules for the Northumberland FA for a boys' club team was a bit different. You could only play for a team uh, that was two years above you, so you had to. Re- I had to really be nine, 
but they still took us into training. I'd done all the training with them. And then obviously they start putting us in the team, but I didn't realise this until later years. They used to put us on the team sheet as somebody else because obviously <laughs> I couldn't be I couldn't be Lee Clark, the six-year-old. So they put me down as somebody else. And there was one game where um, I was, the manager didn't pick us and I was really angry. And he was trying to explain, and he did explain to us that there was a representative of the Northumberland FA at the game, so they couldn't put us on the pitch because if that had been any questions asked, the boys' club would have gone in trouble. Really understanding all that, you know, all the rules and regulations. So, yeah, so that's how it started and progressed onto the city team, Newcastle City boys, and obviously continued to, to do well with the teams at Walls End Boys Club. Um, so I had the school team, had the city, had Walls End, and then into the county team, Northumberland FA, and then um, obviously at fourteen, going on to fifteen, I was captain of England school boys that season. So um, I was playing football most days when I wasn't playing eleven aside. I was at Walls End Boys Club playing in the five aside leagues there. So it was seven days a week and it was non-stop. And then my some weekends where. I'd be playing two or three games in one day for various different teams, and and it just took off really. And you, you know, you're I'm a new I was a new I'm a Newcastle United fan. I used to go and watch the pitch teams, and one you don't understand what it takes, but two you don't think it's possible for just someone from the east end of the city and a tough part of the city. Rough, you know, it was it was never easy for the, the family there, but. So you never think that you think that's just down to other people getting that opportunity. But as I yeah. progressed, and then you know when I was round about twelve, I, I, sorry about eleven, I got called into the Centre of Excellence, which is equivalent to an academy now at Newcastle. Um, and then as I progressed up until fourteen, you can sign schoolboy forms for a club. Then or you could then. I was getting numerous offers from various different clubs to go down and visit and have a look at the facilities. But I was a Geordie and the only thing I wanted to do was, um, you know, go to Newcastle United. So so I had all that. And then um, it, as I left school, went went to um, Newcastle as a, as a YTS then it was. I don't know what the, if it's back to an old school. isn't that now. Yeah, I think it'll be an old school that. apprenticeship now, is it? Back, I think I've seen that. So... Uh, yeah, and then on my 17th birthday, signed signed up my first professional contract. And uh, later on that year, made, made my debut in the first team as a 17-year-old. Um, so uh, at that point, I mean, and, and again, some, some people sort of listen to the, this probably won't appreciate. At that time, Newcastle were a proper, you know, emerging force again in, in English football. So for you to come in as a, as a 17-year-old, and I guess... You know, a lot of your mates you'd be knocking around with from school, probably all Newcastle fans. And as you said, you were probably, you know, one of the chosen few that got to sort of, I guess, live the dream. How was it for you from on a personal point of view from, I guess you were living and breathing football anyway, but for really, like you said, you can't imagine it's going to happen and it does happen. So what was the impact on you? Were you just sort of fully focused on football or was there sort of like, things that could maybe, um, I guess, influence you off the pitch? How was it? How were your mates? How did all that sort of go? Well, listen, as I've already touched upon, I came from the East End of Newcastle and we, we didn't, and it wasn't an affluent area at all. It was, you know, council houses, and but it was a great, uh, you know, area to grow up. Everyone was friendly. The parents were friendly with the neighbours. All the children played alongside each other. You know, were never without the ball. I was I was very popular because I was mainly the lad who had the football. So I was the one that maybe got knocked on the door quite regular. Um. So yeah, it was it was an unbelievable thing that happened. I mean, my parents didn't drive. We didn't have a car in the family until my older sister was old enough to pass a driving test, and she got herself a little car later on in life. But so when I've made my debut, um. The club had actually part of me in initial early contract because obviously, as I said, it's quite a tough, tough upbringing that I had. The club moved us out of the area and, and, and moved us into to the Walls End area, still in the east end of the city. And they actually, you know, got us a house set to try and get us out of the, the area I was in because, like you said, I had friends. Um, 
who unfortunately had turned to crime later on yeah. in life, who unfortunately got involved with drugs, etc. And and that was the you know the unfortunate part of that. And football took me away from all that type of stuff, which is I'm really thankful for. Um, so when I got moved and so I meant to make my debut as a 17 year old. Obviously, we didn't have any uh, vehicles and. Um, I used to, used to use public transport, so I used to just get the bus. So I, I got the bus to St. James's Park. I got it to Haymarket bus station in the city centre, and I was on my way to play at St. James's Park. And I remember the bus driver letting us off with a 50 pence fare as long as I played well. So he never <laughs> he, ne- he, he never asked us for the 50 pence, so I must have played well, because obviously i seen him a few times later because it was a regular occurrence. And uh, it was weird because I'd be sitting on the bus with like... Uh, a collar and tie on first time I'd ever worn that in school and you're trying to like I was, tr- I was sitting upstairs at the back just trying to hide so people because obviously there was lots of support I was getting on the bus but it just turned into bedlam so it's uh, it was strange you know going on and then being supported by all these people who you're probably sitting on the bus <laughs> sitting on the bus with some of them or having probably having a pop with us or some of them might have been celebrating with us so uh, and, and then it just progressed really is in uh, in that time, I was obviously there was a few people who got blues links. Obviously, Jim Smith was the manager who yeah. gave us me yeah. my debut, yeah. and I was terrified of Jim. One of my jobs as, as a as a young player was making Jim's coffee in the morning, and Jim was partial to a cigar, so his office was co- uh, you know just completely just blocked out with cigar smoke and I wasn't the best coffee maker in town so I'm glad actually in a way because he couldn't see it was me putting his coffee down so when when he come to drink it and I heard him effing and jeffing about the quality of the coffee I was a way and gone by then so <laughs> um, obviously I played alongside Roy Aiken who was an assistant manager there yeah Roy was uh, we brought Roy in to Newcastle he was high profile signing he was the record and still is appearance holder for Celtic. He was captain of Scotland. So in, he was a midfield player. So I played along as a young boy. The two the two older players was also Kevin Dillon as well. Blimey. Uh, yeah. You won't so remember Kev- him, Tom, but I I, I definitely Kev was Kev- uh, it, Kev- as Kev- I started to watch Blues, he, he was, you know, part of the, the team that I sort of grew up grew up watching. Yeah. yeah. And, so I, and Kevin- I think we, we with you, so Lee, Kevin I, really, so Kevin really and Roy were like um, the senior pros who took us under the wing. Kevin did really. I was still keeping touch with Kevin. He, he still calls us the youngin. So, and I was like Kevin's like boot boy. I used to have to clean his and Mickey Mickey Quinn's boots while I was in the team with them as well. That was part of my duties. So, but they were great, great senior pros at the time that I was. There was, you know, obviously Mark McGee was in that team. John Burridge, yeah, Ray Ranson. These blues uh, as well. Yeah, so there was, there was so, it was amazing. Um, you know, they were, they were brilliant with us. They looked after us. I decided to move on. Um, I spoke to to various different clubs: Celtic, Rangers, um, Villa. Oh, <laughs> so thank you that. Well, thankfully that one never came <laughs> off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Dobby, obviously Jim was manager of Dobby County now in the yeah. Premier League, and here I was a more experienced player, and it was it was really exciting. I, I was really strongly pushing towards the Derby County one in the Premier League and working from your old manager again, who who set the tone by giving us me me, me debut. So, um, Manchester City under Frank Clark as well. So, I had options, and then Sunderland was the last club I went to speak to, and you know I I, I remember meeting Peter. Yeah. And saying that I'd only go in there to, out of respect, but in the meeting he took us, he must have, he took us to uh, Manchester. I met him in Manchester. And he took us to a, 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 a champagne and an oyster oh, and wine no. bar type place. So after three or four <laughs> bottles of pink champagne, I, I've now signed a five-year contract for Sunderland. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he did say in the meeting that uh, he, he could be the manager to get us in the England squad, but I didn't. I didn't understand how quick he'd work. This was on the Friday. I'd agreed to sign for the move. We were going to do the press conference on the Monday and do me signing. They'd agreed the fee with Newcastle. On the Saturday, I was on the golf course and I got a call from Glenn Hoddle to see I was getting called up in the England squad for the tournament. The tournament yeah. that was in France the year before the World Cup. So I rang, 
I couldn't believe it. I knew Peter said he'd do his magic, but I didn't realise he'd get it done in 12 hours. I hadn't even kicked the ball. I hadn't even trained with him. Then he, he, so that was, uh, yeah, so I, I signed for them. But, you know, I was always honest. It also, me, you know, me three children, me, me oldest one, he was just a baby then. We lived in Newcastle. I was actually close at the Summit's training ground than I was to Newcastle's right. training ground. And uh, it was, uh, I felt it was important for my family. I didn't move away from the area. But what I kept stressing, and Sunderland fans were well aware of this in every interview I'd done or, or press conference when it was asked, it was, I was a Newcastle United fan. I'd made this decision, you know, for my football career and my family. Um, I still used to go to all the games when I could to watch Newcastle, yeah, and you know there was a bit of friendly banter. It never got beyond that, you know. I'd, I'd mix with the fans. I'd go into the pubs around the stadium and have a beer yeah. or, or whatever if allowed. Um, so yeah, and I had two fantastic years playing under Peter. Uh, yeah. Really enjoyed him. We had a great team. You know, me and Kevin Phillips came in around about the same time. Um, you know, when obviously Niall Quinn was still there in the team, some other good signings, and uh, so. We had a great two years, but one I helped the club achieve its goal because I went there when the first season of the Stadium of Light, so that was a big yeah. thing for the club. Uh, they wanted to, to, to we were getting full houses, forty eight thousand in the championship, and um, got them promoted. We got to the semi final of the League Club, League Cup. Um, God knows what it was called then. It's changed its title so many times. I, I just ident identified as the League Cup, so it doesn't... Uh, um, and, um, you know, unfortunately, we got beat by the, the eventual winners, Leicester, over two legs. So, you know, it was success. But one thing I couldn't do at that time was play for Newcastle's biggest rivals in the same league. And once they got promoted to the Premier League, that was going to be the case. And um, yeah. we, we, we had to part ways and... Um, so, uh, you know, the move to, to Fulham came about. And you, and you sort of spent a long time with Fulham and again, another promotion under your belt with them and obviously a few seasons in the in the Prem. I think I think it was four while you were there. So a big transition moving down to, to London, you know, sort of, sort of how was that for Mastiff, as I just mentioned, the reason I went to Sunderland was the family and yep. me and my wife both being from Newcastle, being from the northeast. Never ever thought I'd move to London. So when the move came about and I went and spoke to them, um, this was a club with um, what I would love Newcastle to have now, a new owner, what you would probably want the Blues to have now, this type yep. of owner in Mohammed Al Fayed, who owned Harrods at the time, who. The day I signed, there was a there was a group that were there, a group of fans who'd set up, um, you know, a group. And it was five years to that day when I signed, I was celebrating because five years previous to that, they'd finished 91st out of 92 clubs in the Football League pyramid. Yeah. And here they were five years down the line, uh, breaking that transfer record of just under four million for myself in, in the championship, wanting to get promoted to the Premier League. We'd yeah. done it within two years. The, the owner then financed some terrific signings. Edwin van der Sar, Steve Molbronk, all these that came in the Premier League. Uh, uh, you know, and um, we we took the club to Europe for the first time. We competed in the, was it Europa League or still? Probably, that was probably then, the year. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we, got our, we got our highest ever finish at that time. Obviously, Roy Hodgson and his lads took over took us, but we finished ninth in the Premier League. We were mm. actually third uh, two days left of transfer window and we sold a massive asset, Louis Saha, yeah. who had been in unbelievable form. He went to Manchester United and with only two days left, it was really difficult. It's one, we were never going to replace what Louis was giving us that yeah. year, but two, to, to bring a, a quality player in, to replace him as a striker was going to be difficult with two days of the window. Now, we still finished ninth, but who knows where we would have finished because we were third position um, yeah. at that time. But, you know, the club was built, the infrastructure, the football club, the stadium at Craven Cottage. I mean, you and I, Mohammed Al-Fayed, looked at numerous different possibilities of moving us from there. Because I don't know if you've ever been down to Craven Cottage, yeah. but it's right in the uh, housing estate. They're right on the river. Thames. Difficult to try and very costly and having to get lots of, through lots of red tape to 
um, build on Craven Cottage. I know they're doing it now. The new main stand there's going to be absolutely stunning back and onto the riverside. But um, he come up against lots of uh, problems. So he got it to the level he could, maximum of about 28,000, I think. Uh, the training yeah. facility he was getting improved all the time was stunning. It was so ahead of its time because we, if you remember, we had John Tigana who was, you know, uh, a, you know, a, a band of managers in the Venga, more loss in Venga, and how he was ahead of the game with the nutrition and the fitness side of it, etc. And our training facility on the back of him coming in was obviously getting you know brought forward all the time. Yeah. And the investment in the in the squad, which was always needed, and uh, we had a real great time. And I, it's a club that's so close to me heart. I love it. Um, uh, you know, we enjoyed living down there. The family. I still love going back down there to see the, the people and the fans. Yeah. Got a great reception. I was inducted into the, the Hall of Fame earlier wow. in the year, earlier last year. So, you know, because I captained them and it was it, something that I never, ever thought. And yeah. then to finish it, so I had six, seven great years there. Fantastic time. And then, and then obviously went back to back to Newcastle for a couple of seasons and then did that sort of transition into to sort of first team coach. So how did, how was that for you going from, yeah, I guess one of the lads to training the lads and just taking that step away? Was that, was that easy for you or how did that sort of yeah, pan well, out? I always knew what I wanted to try and do. I took my coaching badges really early in my career. It wasn't just a major reaction. Oh, I'm coming to retirement. As you said, I went back to Newcastle and, Finished the dream, really. I didn't think at that stage in my career I'd be going back to Newcastle, but finished the playing days where they'd started. Yeah. Um, and then made that transition. It was a reserve team then. It wasn't under 23. So had the likes of Tim Cruel, Fraser Foster, Andy Carroll in my reserve wow. team group at that time, 15, 16-year-olds. And then um, had the ambition, always wanted to be the number one. So still had this burning ambition and, Glen Road, I was one of the managers I was working under at Newcastle. He left and I worked under Sam Allardyce for a while. Glenn moved to Norwich and asked me to go there as his assistant. Yeah. See the natural progression for me. Took that job, was there for a year. Terrific club, uh, great facilities, great people. And then got offered the opportunity to become the manager in your soul right at Huddersfield and um, snapped that opportunity and didn't realise it, you know, obviously I had a couple of meetings with the then winner, Dean Hoyle, um, a local lad at Huddersfield, Huddersfield Town fan, massive. There was pictures of him in the new stadium, there was pictures from the old stadium and Dean was actually on those pictures as a fan <laughs> on the terrace. Done unbelievably well in his fan, uh, personal life and his business life. Decided to buy the club and that was his first appointment. And, and when in there, there was no training ground. It was a, we rented um, some pitches from a university. Um, there was no value in the squad, no resale in the players. It was just a run of the mill League One team, and yeah. we decided that we were going to change it. We we're going to buy first couple of windows, go and try and bring some up and coming young players into the group, um, look for a training facility to invest in, and, and get the, the product on the pitch. Right, and, uh, we had two games in hand. If we had a won those, we would have went top. Uh, we were in a good run of form. I remember even Danny Wilson, who was manager of Sheffield United at that time, coming in. He was good friends and my assistant, Terry McDermott. And the, um, the, Terry was saying, listen, he's under pressure. And Danny just laughed it off as if to say, it's, it, nah, you're winding us up, you know? Yeah. We didn't realise we were under that severe and that the next day the, the, the axe was going to fall. But uh, yeah, so a, a real strange one. And I think it had an adverse effect when I did go eventually go into the meeting with Wolves. I didn't actually need permission of the of the Huddersfield owner anymore, but I went as an unemployed there manager then. And, and it, it, that was the question I kept getting repeated. Why, why, why? And there was no reason I've since found out, you know, there was a link to me uh, being linked to Leeds United under Ken Bates. Um, obviously Leeds and Huddersfield, big rivals. I didn't put that, um, to bed. I mean, I never had any approach from Leeds. Yeah. Um, as I said to you, I, I, I was going to go and ask permission about with the owner. I had a fantastic relationship with Dean Hoyle. I was never going to do anything behind his back. So I am, um, uh, and I think 
so that there's been stories that that was one of the reasons. I don't know. Uh, we still keep in touch. I'm still very friendly with him. I was there at the playoff final in the championship when they when they got to the Premier League. Enjoyed that day with him. Um, so yeah, maybe he's had an adverse effect with the Wolves one because they didn't decide on making a manager at the time and they just stuck with Terry Connor. So yeah, and, and I think, yeah, I think at that time you know it's it, it sort of that that sort of you know real. Out the blue, your managers get in the, get in the sack where there doesn't seem to be any, any rhyme or reason. And what you say from a Birmingham point of view, because obviously when Gary Rowett got canned, which was just, I mean, I, I, I remember even now when I found out he got sacked and you're just like, what is going on? Yeah. And, you know, allegedly um, it, it was because, you know, he, he was potentially looking at other jobs and whether the, the new ownership that came in thought, well, if he's not committed, then away you go. And again, who knows? I mean, there's a lot of conjecture and paper talk. But, you know, when, when things like that happen completely out of the blue, as a supporter, you're like, well, what, what is going on? You know, because you, you, yeah. you can't make sense of it. And it's always difficult to get, you know, and it's really good to get that sort of insight into understanding perhaps why those decisions are made when... I guess from the outside looking in, there's just no no bloody sense in it whatsoever. But from a Blues point of view, it did open the door to you coming to St Andrews. So obviously, when the opportunity sort of was there for you, what what did you sort of know about the club? And um, yeah, I mean, obviously you played a lot of football in the Prem, so you wouldn't have played against Blues that much. <laughs> <laughs> but but what did you know about the club? What dealings did you have? Um, well. I... I knew a little bit about it in terms of um, a good friend of mine was Stephen Carr, who I played with at Newcastle. Obviously, your captain in the Colin Cup, fantastic day. Uh, Ian McGuinness was the had been a club doctor there under uh, Alex McLeish. Yeah, and Ian came and I worked with Ian at Newcastle. Um, and I was good friends with uh, Chris Hutton as well. And it okay. was actually Chris. Chris uh, put me forward for the job. But, but I don't know how I keep saying this to Chris because we have a we meet up in the summer and uh, and and go abroad and, and have a few drinks together and I keep saying you never tell me did you how bad things were when you jumped ship and went to Norwich and put me <laughs> put me in the hot seat <laughs> you 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 you'd had all the money got them the promotion had that good little spell in Europa League and got, just there. Uh, you know, you know, got them to the playoffs, and here I was. I was every time I turned round, there was a new fire to put out. <laughs> I make him, I make him feel guilty, so he buys us the drinks all night. <laughs> so, I mean, when you came in, I mean, did you get the feeling that, as you say, Chris had done a really good job? Um, yeah, and, and, I, and, and, I, and, I, and my, my thought process was. Take them to the next next level. Can I be the one yeah. who, who wins the playoffs or gets automatic promotion and gets them? this was a you know, this was a chance for me as a British manager, which we were always getting overlooked to get Premier League jobs. And the only yeah. way we're probably yeah. going to get to the Premier League was to take a club up to the Premier League. Yeah. So this was a fantastic opportunity for me. I knew about the football club, the potential, the size of it, the history of it, the 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 fan base was brilliant. So really excited. The train facility, Wast Hill, terrific. Uh, you know, the stadium, St Andrews, top draw. So all ticked every box. So when I was having the meetings and then I got the chance to be offered the job, I thought, great, the, the potential, the type of players that would earmark to, to go after to strengthen the team. And then obviously signed the contract. And then within a couple of weeks uh, before... The, the, the season even started, uh, the crack started appearing of, you know, Carson, um, you know, getting put under house arrest and, um, you know, the funds being frozen and um, going on into transfer embargoes and me not having any really uh, links to our dealings with um, Peter Panu and, and, and Carson Young I was dealing with the likes of Julia Shelton, um, etc. At, at the football club, and they were brilliant. Yeah. They were they were they were class. The, the, the you know the, the administration team back at St Andrews were were fantastic. The way they tried to handle things. I mean, the 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 stop the club going under so many times and how they done it. How how they pacified the uh, the the FBA etc. and the, the the powers that be. 
above us, you know, the administration team, how they've done it at times was was unbelievable. But it obviously caused a problem for myself in terms of I didn't know when we were under a transfer embargo. I didn't know when we weren't. I didn't know what I had to do to try and stop us being under embargo. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was working on a day-to-day basis. If I went to them and says we had an opportunity to to get a player off the books, what was the possibility and what what could I do to bring a replacement in? Yeah. Um, so basically it was, you know, to cut a long story short and make it simplified. If 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 I got rid of player A. And he was on, you know, just a hypothetical number, £10,000 a week. If I wanted to bring a player in, he couldn't be on any more than £7,000 a week, yeah. for example. So, yeah. you know, it, 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 that was the market I was in. If there was any um, uh, cash offers being put forward to the club for players, no matter what, they were always being uh, scrutinised and more, more likely accepted. Yeah, I'll always say, and I'll keep saying this, that we didn't get the market value for Jack Butland or Nathan Redmond. They went for far yeah. cheaper than we should have went for. Um, it was desperation stage. It was to to cover costs and probably pay wages for one window to the next. I always had the issue with um, trying to offload Ziggy. Um, yeah. And... And, and it wasn't the case, you know. Me, for whatever reason, people think there was a there was a conflict of a relationship between us because of the time I went public with when I was disappointed in his training, and that was built up over a matter of months. There wasn't. I loved. I, I got on great with him. We had a we had a good relationship. We understood each other. We're really honest. Um, you know, the funny thing is when he used to come and see us, and he sat down, I had to stand up. So we were on the same <laughs> <eight> level. <laughs> 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 um, you know, and um, and but why, why, and, and this I got this because I was a player myself. One, you know, you think he signed a contract that was put in front of him. Why are you going to turn down your, your life going to be secured for the rest of how long you live, your family's security? Because people don't think about what they're doing above, you know, and in, in who are dealing with this, no relegation clauses, whatever. Or yeah. what, yeah. That wasn't the player's fault. He loved playing for Birmingham City. He loved the area. And um, he, uh, so it was going to be difficult. The, the move had to be always in Ziggy's favour in terms of everything. And there was only, he didn't want to go, because, you know, the, the figures that were in that Nick uh, Ziggy was earning, there was only certain clubs around the world, Middle yeah. East, China, whatever, Russia. And he wasn't interested in those countries. He didn't want to go and live in those countries. Didn't It didn't matter what amount of money was put in front of him. There was only one possibility, and that was probably going back to Spain. We did have one where we thought we had a deal done for him to a club, but he didn't want to do it. He wanted to stay. And we had to yeah. accept that and... So we had to raise funds in other ways and the good young players we had at the time, um, which I was, you know, obviously forced to give a lot of them and, well, not forced, but the position we're in, give a lot of them that debut from the academy and 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 they were the ones that kept us going. I, I enjoyed working with young players and those lads came in, a lot of them local lads. They had the fight and spirit. Sometimes they were naive and they couldn't sustain the quality that was required over a long period, but they could do it in flashes. Yeah. They were terrific. And, uh, you know, I'll always say they they, they kept the club in the, in the championship, what they've done over numerous games. And obviously we had to then, we weren't in a market to only um, two players I paid money for. One was David Davis, because we, we obviously got, you know, this was two, this was the night before the season was starting when I got called to a meeting by Panos. Bad luck is to say they'd accepted a bid for Tom Adeyemi. Yeah, uh, Tom was a player brought to the club on a free. I'd knew from my time at Norwich, and within one season, we'd made an unbelievable profit on him. But he was going to be a mainstay of the team. He'd been really good for us. Yeah, and um, he had the day before the season starting, before the first game or two nights, sorry, before we go to Middlesbrough. And being told he's not a ve- he's not a, he's, he's on his way, and they give me a they give me a tenth of the the money we received to go and find a replacement. So I've, I got I used that to get David Davis in the club. And um, brought David in, and um, smaller version of Tom. Lots of 
similar assets, but obviously didn't have the physical presence, but, you know, just moved on, but served the club really well. Right. And obviously, yeah. the other, obviously the other person I paid a little bit of money for, and that was the, 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 the saviour at uh, the Reebok that day, was Paul, Paul Caddis. So, yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, so that, you know, the other times it was loan market or it was free transfers. And, um, you know, certainly in my last summer transfer window, the likes of Clayton Donaldson and Mark Duffy and uh, various other players, they, they came to Birmingham for far less money than was being offered elsewhere. I got them to Wast Hills. I showed them the training facility. Yeah. We, we, we put footage. We, we, we give them a, a couple of... 20-minute uh, footage of the club, the support, the atmosphere that was generated at St Andrews, the city itself. So we tried to sell the club that way. We had to think of other ways because we couldn't we couldn't compete. We had a bottom three. Ultimately, we had a bottom three championship budget, and we had yeah. to find other ways of, um, of 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 trying to get players there. And thankfully, the the three main things: the stadium, the training ground, and the the the, the, the fan base attracted a lot of those players when they could have well went elsewhere. Yeah. Just yeah. one, Tom, what's your sort of uh, memory from, uh, I guess, the, the tenure of Lee? What, 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 what do you remember and what, what, any, any questions that you want to put to Lee? Well, see, this, this is quite big for me because I actually got my first season ticket um, when you were manager at Blues. Um, right. The season we had the uh, Paul Caddis saviour um season and uh, it was i mean this obviously my granddad always told me the financial side of it because at the time i wasn't too in touch with social media and i like you said about adiemi i i remember these when we had the zapago shirts that season season after yeah. that one uh, adiemi was supposed to be captain i believe yeah um yeah and um Obviously, it was quite big for him because he was young at the time. And then, obviously, he's gone. So, we got no captain for the next day. So, um, uh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, but, no, that that particular 13-14 uh, season, obviously, where um stayed up on the last day was brilliant. Um, and uh, I think the two, two of my favourite home games that season was Burnley and Derby. They were brilliant home games. Um, I suppose... Obviously, you had that amazing celebration as well. Um, I think it was it was it the Burnley game or the Derby game where you're kicking the borders. <laughs> it was it was it was Burnley, and I will tell you the reason. I, um, I I don't know. I think the previous game I must have sat upstairs because I'm quite superstitious, and we got a good result. I think we'd won away somewhere, so I thought, right, I'm going to do it, and I sat upstairs at St Andrews uh, to watch the game a bit higher up. And we had some horrendous refereeing decisions. We went 3-1 down in the game to Burnley, if you remember. Yeah. And we had some shocking decisions against us. And uh, the, the, the referees assessed I was sitting next to us and I was asking the questions and he was backing the referee up. And I was I was sitting and I couldn't take any more. I was furious, so I went down <laughs> to the front line. And uh, the lads just carried on fighting. I remember one. I think that was the day. Was that not the night we ended up having one of the youngest ever starting 11s in the club's history, I think? Probably, with all, yeah. the youngs, all, all the youngsters <laughs> we had out. And uh, they kept fighting. And, and Kiko Makeda scored two, didn't he, I think? And yeah. Drew three, three. Okay, yeah. And, on, and on the equaliser, I went on. The, I went down the touchline celebrating. On the way back, I started booting the advertising boards out. <laughs> that was to, that was, so I didn't start ranting and raving at the officials and I didn't get a fame. <laughs> but I nearly got I nearly got a fine off the club for smashing advertising holding through. <laughs> <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do, haven't you? Yeah. Um, then obviously that derby game, Amir Hughes scored that absolute worldie. Um I think. Um Yeah. Yeah. And then the um, carry on. Go on, what I was gonna say what I, that that one, what did that finish the derby game? Was that a draw? Was that one three three and all? Or was it 4-4 uh, or something like that? It was Nigel that? Clough, Nigel Clough manager at Derby that day as well. Um, he might have been, I'm not sure. I think yeah. that was towards the end of his time, yeah. 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 Um, but, just on that, I think that's a, a really good point. You mentioned, like, a Hughes that came in and he, I think we got him, was he in from Man City, from memory? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. brilliant, Rusnak, brilliant we, got him, we got him with Albert Rusnak. But what happened, see, if you remember that season... Uh, the first part is when we bought uh, Dan Byrne, Kyle yeah. Bartley, Jesse yeah. Lingard, Alan McLean, 
Uh, we brought those in as loan signings. Um, I had David Murphy for two games. Um, I had Stephen for none. I mean, I talk about Stephen. He's my pal. Him and David Murphy were probably the two best fullbacks in the championship. Yeah. And under my yeah. tenure, Stephen never played. You know, he would have been, obviously, he was the captain of the club. He was the leader. Um, far too good for that level of football. I never had him for one league game. Yeah. Um, and David, I had for a handful. And in that season, I remember he played in the two games, the Sheffield Wednesday to him and Millwall to him, 4-1 and 4-0. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Two convincing results and performances. And uh, to lose them two was always going to be tough. In my opinion, the best two full-backs outside the, the Premier League and should have been playing in the Premier League. But then, obviously, we had obviously Jesse, we had Dan and Kyle. When Dan and Kyle were complementing each other left and right footed so yeah. we had good balance Jesse obviously came in and was was outstanding Aaron was good backup for our strikers uh, could play anywhere across the front and done some you know we mainly used him from the bench and if you remember I think between Christmas and New Year or it might have been New Year's Day we drew it home to Barnsley and I think we'd gone 10 games unbeaten we had 5 draws and 5 wins yeah. in that period and we were just on the fringes of the playoffs and I was sitting at home after the Barnsley game at St Andrews and Julia rang us up and said she took phone calls from all the clubs and they were recalling all the loan players. So yeah. in one fell swoop, I'd, I'd lost Jesse, I'd lost Dan and I'd lost Kyle and Aaron in the wall. So what I had to do is just one, you know, these were starting players as well, these loan lads. They weren't just squad players. I had to go back into the loan market and try and find the equivalent of those players in the loan market in a short period of time uh, to try and keep us on the fringes and if not in, to get into the playoffs, which would have been an unbelievable achievement to start with. And the second batch of players just didn't have the same impact. Yeah, They didn't have yeah. the same impact as the first. And, um, you know, it, uh, it, 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 as you say, Emir was a terrific talent. Um you know, in in and out in terms of because I think it might have been his first loan, which is always difficult. Yeah. And you know, some games he looked fantastic. Other times the game passed him by, and you know, but uh, a, a real good player. And these new loan signings didn't make the impact of the of the first group. Yeah. And um, uh, you're always taking that chance because sometimes, as I said, Albert Rusnak, I think it was his first time. Um, is a is a loan signing in in England, so you know that that's the risk you take. And uh, some of the Man U boys uh, didn't hit it off the way I, I'd hoped as well. So it, 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 the the second batch of loans unfortunately didn't produce what the first batch had. Well, yeah. I mean, like you say, um, you talk about that first batch. Uh, you look at where they are now; they're all playing Premier League football. So that just shows how good that first batch of loans really were. Um, and obviously the second batch didn't work out as well. I think that showed in results. Um, obviously, yeah, of course, because we went we went from the outskirts of the playoffs and then into a relegation yeah. battle and being saved on the last day. So it tells you, uh, Jordan. Obviously, Jordan Abe come in, played a big part. Yeah, you know, well, we, uh, yeah. So we had um, we had. Uh, I think overall, in terms of the signings in the market that we're in. I'd, I'd probably say that the positives outweigh the negatives. You're always going to get some wrong because of the market you're dealing in. I'd lost some great play, young players that I didn't want to, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to build a team around Jack Butlin and, and uh, Nathan Redmond. I didn't want them to be being sold to 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 keep the club going. I wanted yeah. them to be them, even though they were so young. I wanted them to be the mainstay. And then we had... Obviously, young Damari came through. He came from nowhere because I think he only played about two under-23 games. Richard Beal, yeah. you know, a very valued member of staff, knew Damari from a young age. and I seen him play for the youth team. Then I seen him play these two games max for the under-23s and I knew straight away, get him in with us. And obviously, that debut we made that night um, again down to 10 men and getting a 4-4 draw. We lost on penalties. Um, Damari, Damari was fantastic, and we never took him out the first team after that. And uh, as I said, my time there, I've got with a lot of pride about the young players, even the ones who, you know, you, you Mitch Hancock's, you, you, 
Callum Rayleigh's, who Callum I took on to Berry with his and made big impressions with his because their attitude and their willingness, that desire for the football club was really a breath of fresh air for me in tough periods and they kept us going for long periods. Yeah, yeah definitely. And just from my point of view and, and, you know, where we are now with what, a couple of days left of this transfer window and, um, yeah, on previous pods, we've been sort of scratching our heads to say, well, what, what do we need that's really going to, I guess, improve where Blues are at the moment? Um, and, and we've sort of said maybe centre-half and, and, and striker. But the one thing I think, it, which is definitely, and you, you've, it's been really good to get some insight into the players that you brought in, Lee. What, what, was, the, what was the method behind it? Because I'm a big believer in sort of money ball and stats and getting players in and everything else. And I think the, the current regime may be a little bit devoid of that, but that's probably another argument. But you should, I, I, I think your strike rate on, get, on getting loan players in, identifying talent... And I would totally agree, and I've got it in my notes. The the Burn Bartley combo was insanely good, and yeah. I was well, I was there every week watching that, thinking, just how has this happened? Because Burn by six foot seven, eight, wonderful yeah. left peg, you know, really, really good footballer. And Bartley's an old school blue centre half, and it, we've been crying out for it for years, and we're like, right, we've cracked it. So, how do you go about identifying that? Is there something that you a science? Is it your backroom staff? Is it you? How? What? What? What was it? Oh, it was me and the backroom staff. I had a, a great chief scout in Malcolm Crosby and who worked numerous hours, who he had a backup team. I was a manager who was out watching games all the time. Uh, um, you know, at uh, various different clubs when I was a Blues manager at various levels. I went to non-league matches um, at all levels, you know, regular visitor with, to, to Leamington in the National League North and, you know, went to National League games watching under 23 games, reserve teams, finding out about players. I knew Dan from his time at Darlington, from up, up here oh, in the northeast. Mm-hmm. So before he got the move, uh, you know, so and and, and obviously knew about players um, and, and continually. Um, I think it, I'd got the reputation as well of, of, of being good with young players. So if there was someone new on the on the horizon, their agents would come on to me because they knew that they were looking for a loan move and and they knew that I was good with young players or someone, another manager. I had great relationships with Brendan at Liverpool at the time, with David Moyes at Manchester United. I'd, I'd dealt really well with Sir Alex Ferguson before that. I'd had Danny Drinkwater with us at Huddersfield. Um, so, you know, I, I had a good reputation with those clubs. Arsene Wenger with Benny Kofobi at Arsenal. All, all the big clubs I'd, I'd taken players from and, 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 and things had worked out well, even with the ones that didn't particularly have good periods, I still looked after them well and it was a good part of their learning curve because that's what I was basically doing for these big clubs. I was helping their young players and I was helping these clubs to develop their young players for them. That's yeah. that's what you've got to understand that you're doing. So, and, 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 and just basically watching numerous amount of games, you know, I stayed around at the training ground for hours on end watching footage of players that I couldn't get to see myself physically. Um, so, yeah, that, that was the, the, the criteria. And it was, um, understand, that was sometimes the frustrating thing because obviously I didn't know which market I was in at times yeah. in the transfer window. I didn't know whether I was going to have any money to spend because no one was telling us. No one was informing Julia at the football club who could pass the message on to me if there was any funds available. I mean, I'll give you an example of what I was dealing with, and this is quite in-depth, in and this is quite uh, behind the scenes, so this is newly common knowledge, but uh, I, uh, through through me link, through Malcolm Crosby, we, we got a, a real good, strong link with Swansea City, because Malcolm knew the, the chief scout there that would work together at Middlesbrough, and they were on the verge of signing a, a young player from Crewe, but they knew he was in Swansea were Premier League then, and they knew he wasn't ready to go straight into their Premier League team, but he want, they knew he was good enough for the Championship. So when they mentioned this player, who was Ashley Westwood, we knew we want we would take him. We knew he yeah. was really good enough to be playing in the Championship. And Swansea were going to pay a lot of money for him, give him a big salary. We were going to be able to get him for £5,000 a week towards his wages. Yeah. The day before... Uh, I took a call from Peter Panu, who was with Carson, and um, he, I'd asked him, I'd put Ashley Westwood uh, into the equation, 
and uh, they oh we'll need to talk we need to have a chat so they come back me and said listen there's no funds so there wasn't five thousand a week in the pot to take Westwood unfortunately so we, we we couldn't go ahead with that one about an hour later I takes a call from Peter again to ask if I'd be interested in Herelier Gomez and Jermaine Jennis from Tottenham who would cost us in the region of the combined in 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 what we would have to pay towards their salary, about 30 grand a week. Two players, one, Herelia Gomez, I didn't need because I had Jack Butlin and I was prepared mm. to give Jack his chance in the championship. I'd seen yeah. Jack. I'd seen Jack very closely at Cheltenham on loan because while I was Huddersfield manager, I had a player on loan at the same time. So I knew what Jack was about. So I was really excited to have him in and give him his chance in the championship. So I didn't need a Herelia Gomez. And their thought process was we'd just bring him in and make him number two. Well, the reason Herelia Gomez wanted to leave Tottenham was because he was number two. Yeah. Why was I going to bring a top-class <laughs> international keeper in who's going to be unhappy and make 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 problems for me when I had a, a top young keeper? Yeah. Jermaine, for a terrific footballer he was, he was coming towards the end of his career and he was having numerous injury problems and it was going to be a risk. So here I was asking for the player cup for Ashley Westwood from Crew, who obviously Peter Pano and Carson Young didn't know so they yeah. weren't prepared to sanction the £5,000 a week that was going to cost us to loan them from Swansea for the season. But they were prepared to give us 30000 a week to give us two so-called players that they knew in Jermaine Jennison. And, and that, so that was the that was the type yeah. of scenario I was coming up on a regular basis, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So these were the things that at times you kind of tell the fans these, you can't. Unfortunately, yeah. I kind of yeah. come out because it causes turmoil. It puts my position in jeopardy. I didn't want to lose me me job over that type of scenario. I had to deal with that in house. You know, usually on a Friday, my PA at the club, Rita, she would get a fax from Carson, the, the team he wanted me to pick for the Saturday. <laughs> well, that shop got shredded and put in the bin on a regular. That got put in the bin within two minutes. I didn't even used to look at the eleven. This is what I had to deal with. It was obviously madness, man. It was madness. It's a shame because I tell you what, I know, I know, you know, there was a lot of issues and, you know, people didn't think I'd done particularly well there. But there was, there's lots of things to, to, to mitigate why. You know, there yeah. was a lot, yeah. I, I believe I put lots of good practices into place. Um, I had great ideas that couldn't always get brought to fruition. Um, and, and, and what I had to deal with, um, you know, was where the club was, unfortunately. I didn't want to dampen the, the fans' expectation. They were brilliant, the fans. I understand. I understood their frustration at times. You know, that there was never any problem with that um, yeah. uh, for me. I, I totally understood that. Um, I just wish, you know, I was in a position to to give them more information than I could at the time. Yeah. So do you just, I mean, we'll move forward, but a couple of things from... I guess from my my time watching them, how the hell did you get Ravel Morrison over the line? Because if you've got to justify every penny, geez. I mean, yeah, uh, but but I mean, he was absolutely tremendous for us. So I mean, fair play to you because you've got more out of him than probably how many sixteen managers that he's been yeah. through. So, so what 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 happened there? You know, I mean, great player. Oh, what a talent. The most gifted, gifted footballer I've ever had. Really? But, you know, too many issues that got in the background, too much baggage, didn't yeah. allow him to become... You know, he, 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 Sir Alex Ferguson has been quoted as saying the best, and this is some statement, by the way, the best ever player to come through Manchester United's academy. Yeah. That is some statement when you think that some of the players that have come through there yeah, well, have gone have world-class yeah, careers. Give a shout out to uh, one of our guys that's sort of desperate to ask the question about <laughs> what you thought about whether Morrison fulfilled his potential. And that was from uh, Cy Cotters on, on, on our Instagram channel. So I guess you, you feel that he probably didn't fulfill his potential then. He, he, could, he could have been whatever. I, I, I tell him one day, you, you're the modern day Gaza. He said, boss, who's Gaza? I said, Paul Gascoigne. He said, who's Paul Gascoigne? No. I knew I was dealing with someone different. <laughs> Christ almighty. I'm over 10 years younger than that bloke, and I've known who Gazzer is since I was down here. Yeah, I'm, no, I mean, I... You, you, do you know Gazzer, uh, Lee? Yeah, very well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I made the comparison, because he was the first 
the one since Gaza as a central midfield player who had the pace of a winger who could go past people. I don't know if you can remember the time we were without strikers with injury and suspension. And yeah. I played Ravel and Nathan Redmond as me two strikers. I didn't actually play them as main up top strikers. It was what's called in the modern day football false number nines. And we went, we went, we went, we went to Leeds. We went to Leeds, and they were magnificent. Leeds, Leeds back four didn't know how to handle the two of them because they were coming off deep into little pockets, and they were playing one twos, and they had all this trickery in that army between the two of them. If they had been natural finishers, the games they played in, we, we would have won comfortably fours and fives. And actually, when the when the strikers became back fit. I was toying with the with the prospect of leaving Raven Nathan up as the two because the were the performances were superb for us. The only thing they didn't have in that armory um, was the, the natural instinct of a striker getting in on the end of crosses yeah. in the six yard box or the finishing. But the, that general play was made us a much better team. We played such terrific football. One, because they knew the pl the players knew we couldn't just lump it up in the air and play a long ball. We had to get it into their feet. But because of their movement and the speed and the speed of their minds, the, the, I think they played about three or four games together. They were brilliant. I mean, that night at Crystal Palace, when the, the team, the, the year Palace got promoted, and we went to Selhurst and won 4-1. They were phenomenal, them two, that night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I actually mentioned that game to you the other day, didn't I, John? When I was saying yeah. um, it was before the Middlesbrough game, I was saying I'm praying for a Crystal Palace away esque <laughs> performance. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think uh, a lot of Blues fans remember that Crystal Palace away game. What a game that was! And 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 talking about games that we we all remember, like, obviously the, the famous one. And I did actually watch the highlights before we before we sort of. Got, got online today, and obviously that's the, the Bolton game. So, um, yeah, I mean, very quickly where I was. So, my, one of my, I was due to be best man uh, for a good, good friend of mine, and he's a massive Villa fan. So, I had the suit fitting on that day. So, I'm literally parked two streets down from him with five minutes to go, thinking, if we don't get this equaliser, I ain't going. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and <clears throat> obviously, uh, the Caddis obviously got the got the equaliser and straight on his drive and I, well, I won't repeat what I said but uh, yeah I'll just never forget that day but from your point of view what what just the build up and the, the game what do you remember from that day? It was weird. Um, I'll tell you why. Um, so when the when you're away from home, it's it's horrible before the game because it's home when the team goes out to warm up and the coaches are doing their bits and pieces and you've done all you can do before you give them that last motivational bit before kickoff. Um, you've got your own office, you can go in there and relax, watch a bit of TV. But when away from home, you're stuck in the dressing room. So the players have gone out to warm up. Um, I, I contacted my wife and kids just to say, listen, you know, obviously the game massive game for us today I just want to thank you for your support and um, you know being there for us and, and backing us and um, we're going to get a result I just I had this feeling that we're going to get a result we're going to come out of it spoke to the players and then even when we went 2-0 down I remember I brought Malcolm Crosby into the, the coaching setup for the last few games for his experience to give us a bit of a hand and um, I said I said to Malcolm we're two 0 down. I think it was about 18, 19 minutes ago. I said, "We're gonna. This is gonna. We're gonna get a result here. Yeah? This is gonna happen." And he must have thought, "He's, he's crackers, this fella. He's absolute crackers." <laughs> and I just felt, I just felt so relaxed. I, I just, we we played particularly good in the game. We we give them two chances. We're two 0 down, which we didn't deserve to be. I couldn't influence what was happening, uh, you know, at Doncaster's game, and um, I. Uh, I just felt we were going to get a result and I didn't realise how it was going to pan out. 96 minutes, the smallest man on the, smallest man on the pitch scoring a Ziggich-like header. But um, no, that, I mean, it was, it was such a relief. And the relief for me wasn't for myself personally, it was for the fans. The numbers that turned out was phenomenal, but something that um, I didn't take for granted, but I expected because the, the support was brilliant. But also the biggest thing for me was if the club had went down the financial situation it was in and also what happens when that happens, the, the, the good people at the football club who work for the club, who are mainly supporters behind the scenes, who are blue noses, they're the first ones to lose their jobs. And I, I didn't want that 
predicament on 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 my watch. So yeah. that was the relief by you know me, the, the run down the touchline, um, you know the 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 celebrations will stick with us forever because um, the, the 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 relief, the emotional relief, the physical relief. I mean, people said was I bet you celebrated till the early hours that night, and I went, I got home back to Noel and uh, I went for a meal with a family to the local pub and um, hadn't even got through the, the, the start of the meal and asked if we could go home. I was just physically and mentally drained. Um, what turned out to be a terrific day. One shouldn't have been in that predicament to start with, but we were. And uh, if you're going to write the story, if you had to put it that way, people would never believe they would. The 96th yeah. minute, uh, you, you need a goal because the other game's finished. Uh, the smallest player on the pitch will score a header. So it was never ever tell me that uh, things the impossible cannot happen in football because that did that day. No, yeah, absolutely. Uh, just quickly and, and on then, that, actually. Sorry, Tom, uh, go ahead. Cheers. Um, yeah, no, I, I read an interview, I can't remember who it was with, but um, it was one of the players um, on that day and he said that you'd got in touch with their families and got them to make a video yes. for them and stuff and you hauled them in and uh, Apparently, some of the lads were, you know, almost in tears or crying or whatever. Because well, they were, yeah. I mean, I was just, I was, I was a manager who was always thinking of getting that fine margin, and um, you know, you get to the stage sometimes, and you think, well, my, you keep hearing the same voices and the same messages, and come, how how am I going to get one last unbelievable huge effort out of them? And I decided, I went to my staff and I said, this is the idea I've got. And uh, we got our staff to contact the families, the mums, the dads, the, the wives, the girlfriends, the, the children. And we, we, we got a video of them. And uh, the usual team meeting in the hotel uh, before we departed for the ground, um, every player was in there who I'd got in. Uh, I says, just got, I says, come down early for the meeting. I think they thought it was going to be me going on about tactics and all that. And this game wasn't about tactics. It was about fighting spirit and heart. And I played this video and it was so emotional um, for, for me as well. Because I'd purposely never watched the, 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 what our analyst guys had put together. I didn't want to watch it. I wanted to watch it with the players. And mm. the hairs on the back of my neck stood up, the emotional, the, 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 the pumping of the heart. And I could see the lads, they had tears in their eyes. And the message from everyone was... That proud, they were proud of their sons, their husbands, their dads, who were the players. Just go and give it one final effort, and whether it it, it worked because we got the result. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, it, and it was, it was, <clears throat> it was, all, it was one of them team talks. Without being a team talk, that they'll stay with us forever. Yeah, hundred percent. And just sort of bringing it to sort of a, of a close. I mean, it's been really fantastic to get so many sort of. I think nuggets from behind the scene and massively appreciate the time you've taken. What, what obviously, as I said before, you know, every, everything comes to an end. I mean, from what you've said, obviously when, when you sort of parted ways with blues, was there a bit of a, I don't know, a sigh of relief? I mean, what, what, what were your feelings? Because, you know, trying to do no, I, maybe. I, I probably thought about that in the couple of days after, but no, I, I'm not ashamed to say it. I was emotional. I cried when Julia um, and Joanne Alsop, two cracking girls from behind the scenes, who gave us the utmost support and the hands, the letter to say my time was come to end. I, I shed a tear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I, I, it, even though it was a tough period, and there was a little bit of stick flying about towards us, I, I never held at it. You know, I understood the reasons. I loved that. I loved managing that football club. I wanted to be the manager when everything was on a level playing field. Yeah. To, to, to me competitors um, and I believe I could have been successful understood it wasn't to be the case um, you know there's there's been examples of that since my departure as well yeah. Um, yeah. and um, you know it, it was tough um, obviously it does take a strain on you because you, you, it consumes you 24-7 um, it was the only time during my managerial career my family moved with us they loved yeah. it my two youngest children went to school there and my wife will love the area. We, we we did, and um, you know the club, the club, 
in its thought process, as I just mentioned, the British set up Julian, Joanne and all them people. Uh, they kept believing they had a Premier League mindset. Unfortunately, we're a championship club that, you know, the ownership, um, it, it it ran the club in, a, in, a, in an awful way and it, it, it didn't work out. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think from my point of view, you know, from Blues is, is uh, I think you probably hear it from every every fan's got a story and every club has got its own identity. But purely from a Blues point of view, you know, you, you put a lot of time and commitment into into the club. And I think, you know, every Blue knows to say, you know, fair play to you in really tough circumstances for doing. Oh, well, listen, I made, I, made, I made mistakes and I'll accept that if I have me if I had me time over, I'd do some things different without a doubt. But I couldn't have given any more time or work or, yeah. or, or, or thought about that yeah, club, yeah. you know, anymore. It was always in my heart. It was, it was, it's, you know, it's probably one of the, it's the biggest regret in my career uh, that I couldn't, because I knew the club was huge. I loved everything about it. And not one day did I not want to go into the club, um, you know, even after tough results. The people there behind the scenes, terrific. The backing I had, um, Nah, it was, it was, uh, I'm proud to be, of being associated with the football club. I'm proud to have been the manager of them. Um, just wish it had been, as I said, under different circumstances and I could have yeah. delivered what the fans deserve and they deserve to be in the Premier League. The club deserves it as the infrastructure of a Premier League club. It's It's been in, just floating around the championship for too long and the, the sooner it gets there, the better. Yeah. I think despite, you know, you didn't get the success you wanted in the end or the circumstances weren't different, I think no matter what, you will always have a legend status among Blues fans for many, many years to come, I'm, I'm sure. And that's great, yeah. That, that's always something that I, I think, you know, despite it wasn't how you wanted it, it's still something to be proud of. And like you say, you, you're a very passionate man. And you're definitely probably one of the most passionate Blues managers we've ever seen, really. And everyone I think, always. I think I was. That, yeah. I think I was quick. I think I was quicker than Barry Fry running down the lane, wasn't I? <laughs> <laughs> please do. Please do and say Barry was quicker than us. I've always got told I wasn't very quick as a player, but if you're telling us Barry Fry was quicker, I will be good. <laughs> you were faster <laughs> than some of the players on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, listen, I've got to go now. I've got to yeah. I just realized I've got to pick my son up from work. <laughs> Lee, thank you. Stand on the building site. We're great to hear from you. Yeah, good thanks so much, blue... Lee. Cheers, right. Lee. Good Cheers, luck all the blue noses. Keep right on. Yeah, thanks a you lot. You too, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Right. Well, that that was uh, Lee Clark. Fantastic insight um in, into what was quite a turbulent period um at St Andrews. So uh yeah, hope you enjoy it. Uh, we'll be back soon with a um, what happens sort of over the next few games at St Andrews and the um, more more interviews coming up. So thanks for taking the time. This is goodbye from me and Tom, and uh, yeah, see you soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.